ready. Go take your Bibles this morning and uh, have your fingers ready to go. I am preaching a topical message this morning. Uh, if you're visiting, we are we go line by line through a book in the Bible, and right now we're in First Corinthians, and we're learning uh, a lot about ourselves, a lot about uh, the temptations and the things that we face. And but for the Christmas season, oh yeah, kids, you can be dismissed. Sorry about that. Uh, for the Christmas season, um, every year I like to take a break and I like to go through and talk about uh, Advent themes. Advent meaning coming. And we're thankful for the first Advent, meaning the coming of Christ as a babe in a manger. We sing about and celebrate this time of the year. As we look forward to the second Advent, which is the second coming. And that can't come too soon, can it? And we're all looking forward to the day when we shall. Until then, talk to you today about this topic, this idea of hope. And so that's where we'll, we'll be uh, this week, hope, and then the next few weeks we're going to look at topics like love, uh, peace, and things like that. Uh, I want to say uh, as well, I know you all have, uh, I, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago uh, that um, we, the Andersons, they're here with us today. It's great to have you both with us. And uh, I had mentioned to you guys that the Lord was leading them to move up north and uh, to settle down there. And we are praying for you guys. I want you to know that as the Lord, as you transition and uh, for the job transition there, and then also a place called home, and uh, which uh, is a, I'm sure, another one more thing on the list, right? Just a lot to do and such. So your church is praying for you here. And uh, so it's great to have the Andersons uh, with us, as well as Caitlin, your dad. It's good to have you here, sir, and others as well. But um, it's great to have you all here. Hope. We live in a world that is filled with hopelessness, if you think about it. Some people come to the place in their lives where they really think that there is, sorry guys, there is no hope. They believe that the only choice left for them in life is death. Nationally, the suicide rate increased, according to this source, quote, nationally the suicide rate increased 25.4%, 25.4% from 1999 to 2016, with increases occurring in every state except for Nevada. In 2018, there were an estimated 1.4 million suicide attempts and more than 48,000 deaths by suicide just in 2018. It makes it the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. End quote. Right here in our own state of Ohio, it is reported, quote, suicide deaths have risen precipitously in Ohio, increasing by 34% over 10 years from 2009 to 2018. Nearly five people die by suicide every day in Ohio. And men account for almost four of every five suicide deaths. Some, perhaps feeling too numb to even consider death, are given to live a life of depression. The source also says that an estimated 17.3 million 
adults in the United States have major depressive episode, had a major depressive episode in 2017. Around 80% of adults with depression report at least some difficulty performing work, home, and social activities. The symptoms of depression, such as feeling hopeless, loss of interest and fatigue, can impact all aspects of a person's life, including how they think, how they feel, and how they handle daily activities. Our state of Ohio is slightly above the national average in reported cases of depression. These are real things, perhaps even real here in this room. There are a variety of real things that can cause depression and suicide. I'm not a doctor, but according to the United Health Foundation, the general risk factors are genetic, biological, and environmental, and or combinations of each. And I want to say this morning that if you struggle with depression, and or if you have ever considered suicide, that you need to get help. There's nothing to be ashamed about. You're not a pariah. You just need to get help. Because there are real things, genetic things, biological, physiological, and environmental things that lead to these types of thoughts and hopelessness. I've appreciated recently in our own state, Kevin Love, one of our Cavalier basketball players, who has struggled with mental health and thoughts of suicide. He said this in People Magazine, quote, I think that's been the biggest and most helpful thing for me regarding this is exposing it, understanding that it's gonna make me vulnerable and maybe put me in a spot where most people, it would be tough, but I know there's a whole group and strength and numbers out there of people who are dealing with it. And no, this is true. Those numbers are true according to this according to this report, American Health. Estimated 17.3 million adults have some sort of had some sort of major depressive episode in 2017. And oftentimes that depression leads to suicide. 48,000 deaths by suicide every year. Well, in 2018. So there is true, and there are many, and there's nothing, and it's nothing to be, uh, this is true. And many people struggle, that's nothing to be ashamed of. So would you get help today? Call your doctor, see if there's a physiological, biological, something factor going on in your life. But outside of the genetic, the physiological and the biological factors, why do people have no hope? Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever wondered about hope in your life? What leads folks to a place where they have no courage? What leads people to a place where there is no confidence in life and they just feel like they can't go on? I want to look at that topic today. You know, someone once said, and I don't know who said it first, I've heard many people say this. Someone once said that we are hope-based creatures, meaning that we live, so number one, we are hope-based creatures, meaning that we live today based upon what we believe about the future. 
Pastor Tim Keller utilizes an illustration to help us to understand this, and I think it comes across really well. He said this. He said, take two men. Two men who have the same education, same general background, same stuff, they own the same stuff, have the same stuff in life. Both are married, both have the same number of kids, and both go to work, or uh, are going to go to work at the same company. The boss interviews the one guy, and he says to him, all that he has to do is come in day after day, and all he has to do is place the widget on the gizmo. That's it. Day after day. The guy thinks, man, this is easy. And the guy said, the boss says, at the end of the year, I'm going to pay you $45,000 for just putting the gizmo on the, on the uh, or the widget on the gizmo. And the guy says, what? This is a dream come true. $45,000 for doing nothing. I can, I can do this. This is wonderful. So he takes the job. The second guy comes in, has an interview. The boss says the same thing. Look, all I need you to do is put the widget on the gizmo, or whatever Keller said, something like that. The widget on the gizmo, the widget on the watchet. Each day, day after day. But he says to the second guy, I'm going to pay you at the end of the year one million dollars. The guy gets up, he signs the contract, and he gets up and he leaves before it, you know, the boss can change his mind. He's like, one million bucks to just do this all day. Eight hours per year. One million bucks. Easy, pleasy. Well, one day, both guys come to work and they're at lunch at the same table. And the first guy says this. Sits down and he goes, this is such tedious and wearisome work. Ugh. The second guy, with a little pep in his step, pops his sandwich out. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I love this job. With everything being the same, except for what they know is coming at the end of the year. With everything else being the same, except for what they know is coming, they both see things in a completely different light, don't they? One guy says, this is a tedious job. The other guy says, I love my job. We are hope-based creatures. What's coming affects today. When we talk about hope like this, we need to understand what it is. What is this hope thing? What is hope all about? Just now, just like many words in our vocabulary, hope can be understood in a few different ways. There's different nuances of hope. For instance, during this time of the year, there are little boys who say, I can't, I, all I want for Christmas is what? A new BB gun. I mean, you just see a little boy. Dirk, that was you one day, wasn't it? Just like it was me. No? Little boys all over the the U.S., man, all I want is a BB gun for Christmas. There are others who say all they want for Christmas is world peace. They'd love to see peace and harmony all over the globe. Some say about relationships, 
new relationship that they enter, new I do, they say, man, all I want for is just to have a happy life with my new partner, my new spouse. Others regarding, say, regarding spiritual things that, man, I, I hope that I'm, I'm going to be in a happier place someday. I hope that someday I'm going to be up with, in the future, with the man upstairs, as they call him. When you think of all of those different things, all of those different things, from the BB gun to the relationship and to the world peace and stuff, what do they all have in common when they say, I hope? All of them have in common, what they have in common is uncertainty. The boy doesn't know if he's going to get the BB gun. The peace lover, the guy that wants world peace, doesn't know if life on the planet will ever change. The one who's in a relationship doesn't know if the relationship will ever truly be happy. And the spiritual seeker isn't sure what the future holds for him in the afterlife. Not one of these can with certainty know if what they hope for is going to happen. Is that really how you would want to live life? I don't think anybody does. And I think that's why we read statistics like I read earlier, and I think that's why some people, not all, why some people have no hope in life, because life, to them, is full of uncertainty. Does this type of hope provide direction and comfort and courage in anyone's life? Man, I hope I get the BB gun. I remember there was plenty of times at Christmas when there were certain things that I wanted that I didn't get. Hope dashed for a little boy. Not that I'm bitter today. <laughs> I don't really think uncertainty is how any of us would choose to live, would we? And when we talk of and we read through and understand God, uncertainty isn't the meaning of hope that Glenn read for us this morning in Psalm 42. When the psalmist in Psalm 42 talks of tears being his only food, when he pours out his soul to God, it says towards the end of that chapter that he has hope. But it's not a hope built on uncertainty. It's not a, a hope so hope. It's not a I wish I could have a BB gun to get rid of my foes type of hope. It's not wishful thinking. My friends, you need to know and you need to understand that there is a better hope. There is a hope that focuses on the future. There is a, there is a hope that is forward-looking, that is secure, and, and that is better than the million dollars that the guy was looking for. Why? Because of Christ. Let me ask you this. The fellow that was working with the million dollars in his in future sight, right? He was at the lunch table. Man, I love my job. That fellow, how does he know he's really going to get the money? Well, he signed a contract. Okay. Well, what if the what if the business goes defunct? What if something legal happens and ties it up in court, ties up all of the funds and monopolizes the funds for like four years? What's he do? He, he really doesn't have. Although his he has a hope. It really isn't a secure hope, is it? Or, or what about the person entering into the relationship? 
And they, they make the commitment, they say the I do's, and they say all the right stuff for the better, for the worse, and all that stuff. And, and they're in the relationship and they say, oh, I, I hope that we have a, a great relationship. And, and, and they're like, oh, it's secure. They make vows to each other, they promise to each other. There's the guarantee. Oh, really? I don't know that, that in these situations really, in any of them that I've mentioned, these illustrations, that a person can really be assured of what promises that they, of what the promises say they secure for them in the future, can they? Can they really be so sure that they never even give thought or wonder if it will really happen? I don't think so. So, is there really any hope then? Is there really any true, genuine hope? Is there a forward-looking faith that is undeniably certain? Is there a hope that is based on an unshakable future? And the answer to that is yes. There is true, genuine hope available for everybody. It all depends, though, on what the basis of the hope is. There's a hope that is unshakable, undeniable. And that hope for the believer that's available to everybody is a hope, again, depending on what it's based upon, is a hope that is based upon, for the believer, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me explain. Listen carefully. The truth, I'm going to explain to you all about the resurrection in the gospel here in just a, in just a few moments. The truth that Jesus proclaimed when he was at, on earth. The truth that the Old Testament, that the scriptures talk about before Jesus came, all, that all points to Jesus, the truth is this. Is that when you break the law of God, in a, in a modern way we would say you're a sinner, right? When you break the law of God, the person who breaks the law of God earns the spiritual death penalty. That's how I say it. Here's what I mean. When you break the law, you're a lawbreaker, right? Makes sense. And there are consequences for breaking whatever law that you broke. The more severe the law that is broken, the greater the penalty. Another thing that makes sense. So when you choose to rebel, listen, when you choose to rebel against God, that is, you choose to sin, to go your own way, and to do your own thing apart from the one who created you, you don't deserve a slap on the wrist. When you rebel against Creator God, it's not this type of offense, is it? That makes sense. You deserve something that fits the crime. And so when you commit cosmic treason, when you, earn, when you um, rebel against God, what you earned was the spiritual death penalty because you rejected the Creator and the giver of all life, both spiritual and physical. That's what you earned. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages, or the payment that you earn for sin, is eternal separation from God. Eternal death. But if you think about it, there's no hope in that either, is there? Just knowing that. True. There is no hope just in that. But Jesus goes on to say that he did live the God-pleasing, righteous life that you didn't. And he loved God perfectly like you didn't. He kept all of the law. He was perfect because he was a manifestation of God, right? 
And He paid the penalty for your sin by taking your place, by bearing God's wrath for you in your place. Your place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus Christ became sin for you who knew no sin. So that way you might become righteous in God's eyes. So that way you might receive the gift of righteousness applied to you. Jesus did all of that for you. Thereby paying the spiritual death penalty that you should have paid, making a way for you and sinners like me to be able to be right with God. And so, he did that for every human being. And when you're confronted with this truth, you really only have two choices, don't you? You either accept it or you reject the truth. You either believe it completely and you trust that Jesus provided a way for you to be rescued from your rebellion and restored to fellowship with God, or you can say, yeah, I don't know about all that stuff. I don't really know if that's true. I mean, I'm really good. I'm not like some people. I mean, I'm not like the current president or the president that's coming in, and I'm not like Bin Laden, and I'm not like Hitler, and I'm not like my neighbor who doesn't rake your leaves. I mean, I'm a really good dude. Or do that. So, I, you know, that, that, that's just it, though. You're not good. You've rejected Christ. And there's a consequence for that. So how do you get righteous again? It's only through faith and believing in what Jesus did. You can't help him out, and you can't earn it yourself. You rebelled against him, and you have to pay the consequences. Now, that starts... We understand that there's someone who paid the penalty for us and we can believe and trust in him to be made right with God. That starts to glimmer hope, does it not? But does it bring us a future, final, secure hope? And I don't think that it really does. Not completely. Here's why. How do, in reality, how do we know the gospel is true? How do we know that Jesus, what he did, really worked? I mean, how do we have faith in that? How do we know that we can be right with God like this, the way that I just described as we read, as I quoted out of the New Testament? Is there a way? And the answer is yes. And that answer is the resurrection. The resurrection is kind of like the linchpin of this. It's kind of like the key thing here. Let me explain. God says the payment for breaking this law is death. Eternal separation from Him, both physically and spiritually, for all of eternity. And so Jesus, the gospel says, paid the penalty in our place. And we know, listen to this, and we know that God accepted the payment because of the resurrection. The resurrection proves that the debt was paid. If the debt was not paid in full, according to God's terms, then Jesus would not be alive. He'd still be dead and in the grave. And we would all be left wondering, man, did it really work? Did it really happen? But Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, I just mentioned, He took that sin and He paid that penalty for us. We're the ones that turned our back upon Him. We said, no, God. No, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want anything to do with you, God. And Jesus said, look, I paid that penalty for you. And so if 
there was a, a crime scene, we're all in the crime scene, like TV shows and movies and stuff, right? Someday we're in that courtroom, that fictitious courtroom that we can picture in our mind, and we're standing before God, and we know that we're guilty. And God is about ready to drop the gavel on us and say, guilty, and spend eternity away from me forever in a place called hell. Jesus, our advocate, steps in, and he shows his wrists, and he shows his ankles, and he shows his side, and he says, this person is not guilty because they're trusting in me. That's what Jesus did. And how do we know it worked? Because he's there. Because he's not dead and in the grave. He's alive. The resurrection proves it and gives us hope. That's what our hope is based on as believers. We don't have to, it's not a BB gun, I hope so, it works. I hope I get it. I hope the relationship lasts. I hope there's world peace. There's a hope that is secure and unshakable and undeniable. And that's the gospel hope. And we know it's true because of the resurrection. Is that not wonderful? So, what does this mean in life? What does this, what does it change? Knowing this, what, what, what does this change about anything? Well, hope changes everything. How does this give us hope even more than the man who was going to make, the man who's going to make a million dollars? Well, let's talk about those illustrations that I gave you just a, moment, a few moments ago. What about those who are, in, or are hopeless because of something that went wrong regarding relationships? Children in divorced situations, wondering what's going on, have no hope, mom and dad are fighting, and it's a difficult situation. Marriages that the I do's don't seem to be going as well as they thought. The relationships at work between an employee and an employer. And some of those can just leave us, lead us to despondency, can't they? Difficulties. Why? Because we all long for love. We all want someone to love us unconditionally. We want situations or relationships to be whole and healthy. And when we don't experience that love in life, we tend to lose hope, don't we? We, we tend to feel out of place and unwanted. But you know what kind of love you have with Jesus? Can I share that with you, my friend? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, in that, the rest of that passage, that verse that you see on the screen, you know what's implied there in verse 6? Deuteronomy 31 6? It says, There be strong and courageous. In other words, there are going to be times when you're terrified and fearful. When you have to be strong and courageous. Life is not always just wonderful, is it? Life can be downright difficult and hard. A relationship with Jesus doesn't mean an easy life, but what it does mean is that there is someone that is so very faithful that will never leave you. That he loves you unconditionally. And when you know that you have a love like that, 
a love that will walk through with you through difficult times, a love that will never abandon you, you can have a hope in the future, can't you? You can make it through the day. You can make it through the situation. Why? Because you have a Savior who never is going to leave you. Jesus says that our hearts are shouldn't be troubled in John 14. In that passage, he says, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you for all of eternity. And so it makes sense that because of the resurrection, we can have hope. Well, what about those people who lose hope because of evil? A guy that wants world peace and harmony in life. You know, we hear of murder in the evening news, don't we? We read on social media feeds of more and more injustice. We observe the fighting and the hatred, hatred in our country, and we lose heart. You know, it's easy for us to become cynical, isn't it? It's easy for us to retreat to a place of hopelessness and resign ourselves to view and to treat others with contempt. But the gospel gives us hope. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. Friends, this isn't all that there is. This life is not all that there is. This life isn't the end. Betty Penner right now is experiencing something so wonderful and gracious. Bob, who used to sit there not just many months ago, is experiencing something so wonderful and gracious. It's secure, and they had hope. Why? Because of the resurrection. It's not a, I hope so. It's a, for real, unshakable, undeniable hope. And you can have that hope. Because of what Jesus did for you. And if you have Christ as your Savior, guess what? There is a day that's coming. You know what? There's a day that's coming where some of you that have hard of hearing are going to be able to hear just fine. Some of you that can't see too well, you're going to be able to see just fine. Some of you that ache and that you have pains and you have all these different things that are going on in your body, you're not going to have pain anymore. That's what's coming because of Jesus. There's a peace that passes all understanding because of Jesus. And it's all secured. And we know it's true because of the resurrection. It's not a hope so. Hope. This isn't the end. Can't wait for the day when there'll be no more hurt or violence or misunderstandings or any unrighteousness. Last one. There are some who lose hope because of all of us, really, if you think about it, the life that we live. We're surrounded by deadlines. We're surrounded by heavy workloads. We're surrounded by expectations which we often can't meet. I mean, if you think about it, what's the number one thing that you, the response that you give or that you hear when you ask somebody, hey, how's life or what they're doing? They usually say, well, I'm busy. How are things going? Oh, real busy. What did you do this week? Oh, what didn't I do this week? Some people feel like they, they like they accomplish. Um, they never feel like they accomplish anything, or that what they do is not good enough, and so they begin to carry with them guilt, frustration, 
And then it leads to indifference, and that indifference leads to despondency. And some are so enslaved to the tyranny of time that their lives are nothing but a fast-paced blur. Ever feel like that? Life isn't enjoyable, and when life's not enjoyable, then there, there is that thing that creeps in that starts, when we start to not have hope. But can I remind you that the gospel gives hope? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 says this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You can have rest now when you come to Jesus, and you'll have rest in the future. You don't have to find your personal worth or value in your performance of your life. And there's a day that is coming in the future when I cannot wait for this day. And I want to see this with my own eyes, but Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6 says this, and that day when Jesus comes, and the end, the day, in that day the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them home. There will be a peace and a rest, and even the lion and the lamb are able to lie down together. Why? Because Jesus secured it all, and we know it's true because he's alive. The payment worked, the payment was sufficient, the payment was real, So friends, this morning, all of this hope is possible. It is all real and genuine because of the gospel. Real and genuine because Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. And I hope you understand this hope, and I hope you have it. Here's the question that I want to leave you with. Do you have real hope? Or are you like the little boy that says, Hope I get a BB gun for Christmas. I hope that that's not. Let's will you pray with me this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for who 